Today on this Wisdom Journey Through the Bible, we come to Luke 1, 1 1-38. Think about this. Some of God's greatest works are often overlooked because He works through common, humble, ordinary believers. Today we're going to meet some ordinary believers, and thankfully we have a record of what God did in the lives of Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Mary. You'll be encouraged to remember that God doesn't call you to be a great person, but a person of great faith. Now, as we have set sail in our wisdom journey through the Gospels so far, we've studied the realities of Jesus' life prior to his birth. Uh, We've noted the unusual declaration of grace in the women, Matthew included in Jesus' genealogy. Well, now it's time to slip over to the beginning of Luke's gospel and listen in on two separate angelic announcements. And let me tell you, these angels and their announcements are going to turn some lives upside down. Here in chapter 1 and verse 3, Luke writes that he's presenting an orderly account of Christ's life and work. Now, Luke is, is not an eyewitness to these events, but he's done the research He's had personal interviews with eyewitnesses and apostles, and all along, God's Spirit has been guiding him, inspiring him in writing this account. And he's writing it for a prominent Gentile named Theophilus. Here in verse 4, Luke tells us why this has been written, so that Theophilus might have certainty concerning the things he has been taught. By the way, Theophilus is the same man to whom the book of Acts is addressed. So you could think of uh, the Gospel of Luke as Volume 1 and the Book of Acts as Volume 2. Both are written by Dr. Luke. Now with that, Luke records this first unusual visitation. An angel is about to appear to an old priest named Zechariah, and we're told here in verse 5 that he served in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now this was Herod the Great. He's a wicked, paranoid ruler who was insanely jealous of his power. His favorite title was king of the Jews. So to win Jewish approval, he he will expand and beautify the temple there in Jerusalem. In fact, writing in the first century, Josephus, the historian, described that temple as a magnificent building made of stone, much of it covered with massive plates of solid gold. Josephus wrote that the rising sun reflected off that gold with such brilliance that you'd have to cover your eyes. Well, around this time, verse 5 says, there was a man named Zechariah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Luke describes this godly couple here in verse 6. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, you need to understand that the lack of a child would have been viewed in these days as a mark of God's displeasure. Maybe they haven't confessed some sin, secret sin in their lives. But their childlessness clearly wasn't because of sin. They're a godly couple. It was a result of God's plan. 
So while Zechariah is serving in the temple, we're told here in verse 9, he is chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, many priests never even made it inside the holy place during their entire career. That was where the bread and the candelabra and the altar of incense were located. And they could only do it once in their lifetime if they were chosen. So this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. Verse 10 tells us, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Zechariah is entering the holy place just outside the Holy of Holies. I I can just see him with his trembling old hands sprinkling incense over the coals of that altar as that sweet-smelling smoke began to rise. And then suddenly, Zechariah realizes he isn't alone in there. Verse 11 says, There appeared to him an angel of the Lord, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him, (laughs) I can imagine. The angel speaks in verse 13, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Can you imagine this news? Zechariah, you and your wife are going to have a baby boy, and your son's future ministry will be, he says here in verse 17, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah's immediate response isn't hallelujah. You'd you'd think he'd say that. Instead, it's how. How shall I know this? He asks here in verse 18. In other words, this is unbelievable. I can't believe it. Can you give me some proof that God will do this? Remind you, just as Abraham and Sarah of old didn't believe God could produce through them the forefather of the of the Messiah. Well, Zechariah doesn't believe God could produce through him and Elizabeth the forerunner of the Messiah. And the angel answers here in verse 19, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. In other words, he's saying, what more do you need to prove God's word? You, you got an angel standing in front of you who's come from God's presence. Well, I guess if you want more proof, here it is. Verse 20, Zechariah, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, we know from biblical history that it was the custom of the priest to offer this incense and then come out and stand on the porch there at the temple and give a blessing to the people. But Zechariah can't speak. In fact, he isn't going to be able to talk for the next nine months. Can you imagine his frustration? He has news from God. An angel has visited him, but he can't say a word about it. Well, let me tell you, this gets Zechariah's attention and his wife's attention as well. It's going to develop their faith over these nine months in trusting the Word of God. Now, meanwhile, the angel Gabriel is about to turn the lives of another couple upside down. We read here in verse 26, in the sixth month, that is of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Well, Gabriel goes and greets Mary in the name of the Lord, and then he gets right to the point here in verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, there can be no doubt in Mary's mind that this child is the promised Messiah. He's going to fulfill the Davidic covenant of 2 Samuel 7. He's going to reign as king forever. He is uniquely God's son. He will be named Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Now, Mary staggers under the weight of this news. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, "'How will this be, since I am a virgin?' Well, she's asking how, like Zechariah did, but there's a difference. She's not questioning God's ability. She's confused over the issue of biology. I'm a virgin. How do I have a baby inside me? Well, the angel answers in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, the Greek word here for overshadow is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for the overshadowing presence of God in the Holy of Holies. Gabriel now goes on to tell Mary that her relative Elizabeth is also pregnant in her old age. Gabriel says here in verse 37 that nothing will be impossible with God. Well, Mary responds with great faith and trust here in verse 38. She says in total surrender, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Well, let me tell you, this was no ordinary surrender. Mary and later on Joseph are both going to have to reveal that she's now carrying a child, and it isn't Joseph's. They're not married officially yet. So in surrendering to the will of God, they're both now beginning a life that will experience ridicule and slander and and suffering. My friend, maybe following the will of God right now for you is bringing difficulty and suffering, maybe slander and ridicule. I want us all to say to the Lord, even today, the same testimony of surrender, I am your servant, Lord. Do as you please with my life. I surrender to you today. Well, until our next wisdom journey, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That was Stephen Davey, and he called this lesson, When the Will of God Turns Life Upside Down. In our next lesson, Stephen will return to this wisdom journey as he continues teaching through the Gospels. I hope you'll tune in each day as God uses the truth of His Word to transform your life. Stephen is the president of Wisdom International. He is a resource that he wants to send you today, especially if you're a mother. It's called Motherhood in a Variety of Settings. To get your copy, go to wisdomonline.org forward slash mom. Then join us next time as we continue the wisdom journey.